That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin with teammate Aliyah Kamalova. Welcome to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice for women so you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. On today's episode, we're discussing toxic workplaces and how to know you're in one and how to get out. We are joined by Darby Rose, who will share her best advice on navigating toxicity in the workplace. Darby is a filmmaker, artist, consultant, and advocate for professionals in and out of the film industry. Additionally, she co-founded and runs Color Film, a collective that provides educational and community resources for filmmakers to self-advocate in the industry. Outside of working and advocating, she's a Virgo with a new hobby every week and encourages everyone to wear their mask. We'll be discussing two things on today's episode. One, what exactly makes a toxic workplace? And two, Darby's five tips for navigating a toxic workplace. And now this is The Females. Hi, Darby. Welcome to The Females. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Let's start by first introducing you, Darby. So can you share briefly what you do and maybe a little bit about your own journey with toxic workplaces. Yeah. So my name is Darby Rose. She, her, I'm a filmmaker, consultant, and advocate for professionals in and out of the film industry. I started a film collective called Color Film back in 2018, just to help out other filmmakers self-advocate and kind of navigate the work environments that are often toxic in the film industry. When I moved out here, I didn't really have much money in savings. I didn't have any film schools. I just kind of dived in, didn't know anything about workers' rights, really what the expected paths were of working in the film industry. So along the way, I kind of exposed myself to a lot of environments that were illegal, unethical, and like we talk about, toxic. As I was going through this path, I was kind of like, this is not, like, this can't be the only way to work in this industry. There's got to be a way to, like, navigate around this. And so as I worked through it, I started kind of connecting with more people. Down the line, I started Color Film. And that's kind of what got me to here with Color Film and consulting more people to navigate these instances. Ultimately, I just hope to help dismantle the toxicity in the film industry and other industries so we can be included and above all protected when we're working. Yeah, I feel like especially being since we're based here in L.A., I feel like people are tangential to this whole industry. Just obviously it's such a big industry here. It really does seem I mean, like we give a lot of career advice about like how to apply for jobs or how to do 
you know, a cover letter and all the like quote unquote traditional ways to get a job in different industries. And it's more straightforward in terms of like, you know, go on LinkedIn. Here's how to make a polished resume. And I feel like with the film industry, it is a bit of like a wild west. Like you don't really know. There's no format of like submit your resume and everyone's resume is going to be looked at and reviewed by <laughs> right. the recruiters. Yeah. It's like I graduated and then this person sort of liked me because I also went to that school and then I worked for no pay for five years and then I randomly have a TV show or something like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. It. It's like a really big shark tank too. Mm-hmm. You just are hoping you're with the right type of sharks. Like I might work with sh- hammerhead sharks, but mm-hmm. they're totally different from these other sharks. But at the end of the day, I'm alone in it and I don't know how to get through it. And I think that's what also then contributes to the gatekeeper culture and Mm -hmm. people just think, well, this is how it was when I was in it. So this is how it has to be for you. Yeah, right. It was cutthroat for them to get Mm -hmm. in and toxic while they were there. So like they're kind of thinking, well, you got to put in your time just like I had to. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I remember I actually was my first job out of college was at a talent agency for like within entertainment. And it was like, I actually did apply through a LinkedIn, like a one step zip like recruiter. I literally just like attached my (laughs) resume and just randomly got it. Like I forgot I even applied. But then there was such tension around the office because apparently what I learned later after I accepted the job is that there's a huge hierarchy with like you're working as an intern for years and then you work in a mail room and then only then if a desk is available and you like made friends with someone, then you were able to just basically get recommended to apply. So I was just automatically put on a desk and everyone's like, where did you come from? Like, <laughs> I didn't know where like any of the basic rooms in the building were and people who are working there like in the mail room were like, I've been here. I This is my desk. So it was a really weird uh, experience. But I was like, I guess that person broke the mold of how to hire someone, which is good. But it was definitely, the culture was ingrained by that point. Girl, that's like every job. One job I had, I was like kind of snuck in from a temporary job into a fuller time job. And I was like, wow, this is great. I'm so excited to be here. And a weekend, they were like, if you can just, you know, put together a list of crafty for the office. I was like, sure, this job is awesome. And then they were like, send it to this one guy. So I sent it, but they didn't give me directions. Again, that's like such a toxic behavior when people don't give you clear directions. Mm-hmm. You're set up for failure from the beginning. I sent this email and they're like, oh, no, don't send it to the, uh, well, you were supposed to say this. I was like, why? What's so spe- like specific about this guy? They're like, well, this was his job, but he's been on vacation. <laughs> this guy's job while he was on vacation and like no one told him. Fortunately, we're still friends. But it was just always this, like, awkward thing. And ultimately, this company just kind of crumbled and still crumbles <laughs> to this day. I think that was something to be said about Shocking. just know, like you just, Hop into a job. Film has no real corporate structure, or there are studios that have structures, but so many, so much of the work in the industry is so gig to gig, short term. You come in, you go. People come and go, and there's no real like accountability either, which um, is a big problem within the industry to this day. So let's talk about um, toxic work environments. So we wrote an article on Career Contessa um, that outlines ten signs that someone is in a toxic environment. And just to name a few of those that we mentioned, it could be where there is bad communication, gossipy behavior, poor leadership, rapid employee turnover is another sign. So there are several different signs other than those. But I was curious, in your opinion, like what 
in your experience, what would you define as a quote unquote toxic workplace? Yeah, I think a toxic workplace includes, it has to include safety. And I think safety is a word that we think is just like, you've got the fire extinguisher, you have exit routes. But I think- Yeah, physical safety. Yeah, we think physical safety. We don't think about actual emotional, mental health safety. And that is something that needs to be paired more with inclusion. So talking more about like when we're including people, right? There's so much of diversity hiring happening, this like kind of new wave affirmative action. But when we're doing that inclusion, there has to be safety. I've been the diversity hire many times. And it's very obvious because once I get in there, there's no safety at all like laid out. And with that safety also comes accountability. There's no accountability, meaning that like the people who are inflicting the problems on me and creating unsafe working conditions for me. And again, working conditions, not just being a a physical thing, being like a mental uh, space. But when there's no accountability for those people then there's like no way that I can feel safe. There's no one I can go to to say this person's doing me wrong because the person who's probably doing me wrong is the person I'm probably supposed to go to. Mm -hmm. There's no HR. There's no HR. Oh my God. There's I've worked for companies like film production companies that are around for years and have no HR because they know that their, their privilege allows them to think that they can continue to hide the, the the risks that they're creating. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, On top of that, also, I think something that can be within defining a toxic workplace um, is just disregarding and disrespecting boundaries. So you can come in and say, I'm just going to be this PA for this one department. How many times have PAs, production assistants, how many times have producers and specifically women, we've come into one job and we've ended up taking over one to three other jobs, as well as maybe taking over housekeeping. And so our boundaries, just our job deal terms are completely disregarded. And then the no thank yous, the lack of acknowledgement and awareness of the like harm and the danger that they're putting us into is just like forgotten and not, not acknowledged. I think you really wrapped up toxic work environments (laughs) in a really concise Mm -hmm. way, which is shocking just because I, I think that the first one you mentioned about safety and like psychological safety, I feel like that's such an important new terminology that people are starting to share. So I'm really thrilled that you brought that up. I'm kind of curious, let's say someone is new to a job or a company. Are there any signs that, you know, they could pick up on that might hint at the signs of a toxic work environment before they accept the job? Like, are there things to look out for? Yeah. I mean, I could talk about like, in the job, acknowledging it, I think looking back at the first day of the job says it all. And if before mm-hmm. even accepting the job, looking at the interview, was the interview scheduled through one person? Did when you show up, the person was actually the person you were interviewing with or that you thought you'd be talking to? Did you feel like you were actually heard? Did you feel like you were acknowledged? I've seen a lot of good memes that are going around of like, my next job interviews, I'm going to ask like, how do you handle your employees in a pandemic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like I a like really that. <laughs> valid question, I think, for anyone going on dates. Mm-hmm. You know, those are questions that I've asked too and I've dated. Um, just like how <laughs> like it. what is your path in recovery from childhood trauma? <laughs> and like <laughs> and uh, I definitely hit it off right in the first bat. But I think the first date says it all. The you know, like a first date, the first time meeting someone, just paying attention to how clear was that that meeting, that intersection of your lives joining, 
How clear was it what the job is? I think one of the best questions to ask in an interview is what is a typical day of the job like? Sometimes jobs are like, well, we're changing the job. But if it's not clear, what they're doing is they're leaving it to you and making it feel like, my experience is this, they're like, well, we're leaving it to you to like shape it out. And sometimes depending on the company, if it's a really small team, it can be good because it gives you a lot of leverage to be able to make the job yours. But I think if it's in a big company and they're like, well, whatever you think should work will be great. And then it's giving you the responsibility. And especially if you're a BIPOC worker, you're already like already going to take on so many extra layers of labor. And I think that's something I've had to really look at and acknowledge too, just quickly touching on that, like the types of labor I, as a black mixed woman, I'm taking on racial labor, emotional labor, and someone with anxiety and depression, I'm also taking on an extra load of mental labor. And I think that's something people really need to like acknowledge when they're going to any scenario on a daily basis. Definitely the first day and the first time you meet in the first interview is really where you can see the red flags and not really letting yourself. I'm such an emotionally driven person. So I get really easily excited. So sometimes I have to really step out of that excitement and just look at the facts and see like, is this all lined up and working for me? And is there going to be space to grow in this? Or does it sound like they're scattered? And do I have the emotional bandwidth to take them on? This kind of transitions to my next point is that I assume, unfortunately so, that there is a unique level of toxicity that women employees of color face at a company that might not even be apparent to their white colleagues. So it's like kind of when I was stepping back into like my first job, I totally experienced that same thing where I was the only one person. Everyone else, it was like I was in a fraternity house too. So it was just like a bunch of rat bro dudes. Just so like, I couldn't couldn't even like culturally speak with them. Like genuinely, you know, at all. I am, am sure that there's other toxic things they were dealing with at this workplace but I feel like it's so different for women and BIPOC employees um, that are entering company or space like that. I could do a whole podcast episode just on this topic. So I'm going to try to wind <laughs> it in. A lot of the experience I've had working, the people I've worked for, the people I've worked with have been white. And although a majority of them, a majority of my bosses have been men, fortunately in the last couple of years, I've had, I think in the last two years, I've had primarily female identifying white female bosses. People want to give women money and I'm all for it, which is awesome. I'm still working in a really white environment. And that's, like I said, talking about labor, like that's a whole other level of things that I have to die through. And unfortunately, a lot of the people I've had issues with or experienced a lot of issues with have been white women because there's a lot of this like kind of bystander, I don't know what to call it, like a bystander factor. The people who don't want to include themselves. It definitely stems from fragility, stems from privilege, but definitely people who like don't want to step in to support, to be another voice, to help amplify my concerns, amplify the need for my safety and my inclusion, and also people to help hold others accountable. I can sit here and say, you know, what you did is wrong, but at the end of the day, my voice isn't unfortunately going to be heard the same as like my white counterpart. So I feel like as I've been really looking at accountability, I'm also looking at the bystanders. And in my opinion, I think the people who stand by and don't really speak up and amplify the need for safety, inclusion, 
boundaries and accountability, those people are as dangerous as the aggressors and the oppressors. I mean, looking at the Weinstein and the Casey Affleck stuff, like we're only looking at them, but I'm like, Harvey Weinstein is a whole team of people. It's not like none of them knew. Mm-hmm. Same with the Casey Affleck stuff. We're not looking at people like Joaquin Phoenix, where they were, that was on his project when these assaults were happening. And so I think it's when the people who stand by and don't really say anything, it's that adds to the level of toxicity. So I hope that mm-hmm. that gets dismantled too eventually one day. Yeah, silence definitely and being a bystander definitely sends its own message. Well, up next, Darby will share five tips for navigating a toxic workplace. Let's take a quick break so you can hear me out on something. I know that updating your resume can be the worst. Like, what do you share? What do you leave off? How long should your resume be? Do you really need to tailor it for every single job? Oh, and can someone else, just really anybody else, just please write this resume for me? Updating your resume is a pain, but the benefits of a dazzling resume are pretty compelling. That's why we created the 24-hour resume makeover, and that's why it's our best-selling course ever. Isn't it time you give your resume that glow-up it deserves? Did you know that the average recruiter spends less than 10 seconds scanning a resume? Use this course to make those seconds count and land your resume in the yes pile. Head over to careercontested.com backslash courses to enroll in the 24-hour resume makeover course today. Design a stunning resume, stand out to recruiters, and land that job. All right, now let's get back to the show. All right, Darby, your first tip for navigating through a toxic workplace is to examine your onboarding and start paperwork for your rights and protection. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So I know speaking in film, one of the reasons why I consult for folks out of film as well as in film is because our working fields and spaces range so vastly from being on set to working in a desert to working in an office or working for a short-term show to a long-term permanent job in a studio. So all of those jobs have one thing in common, and that is the start paperwork and the onboarding. Some jobs you're just kind of thrown in, the job's starting tomorrow, you have no time to really figure things out. And some jobs you get like up to a month of you know, negotiating back and forth. But what you can always do is examine that starting point. What is on paper? What did you sign in your contract? What did you agree to in initially accepting this job? If you're being asked to do things beyond that, looking at that and being able to point back to that because that's what's on paper and that's what's signed. Looking at what protection and inclusion tools did you secure for yourself? Again, kind of going into like, you know, what in the contract is protecting you? Are you, you know, with California, we're at will employment. So you can leave a job at any time. You don't have to give notice for two weeks. You know, again, kind of talking about when you accepted this job, are your deal terms being pushed? You accepted, you know, you said, I'd stay on for this long, whatever deal terms you put into place. And if they're pushing it, they're not respecting your boundaries. You know, what are your rights then and there that you can kind of combat them with? I know that the combating is not a word or a, an action people like to take on when they're trying to go against their bosses because of the power play that comes in. But I think that people knowing what their rights are is what helps people know what healthy combating is and fighting for themselves. And then also, you know, again, in film, a lot of the work has been 
Unfortunately, a lot of us have been 1099. So we have no workers' rights. We don't, we don't qualify for unemployment. You know, we don't get taxes taken out, but as freelancers, we have a lot of the power and how much, you know, we give to a job because we're doing a service for a company that doesn't typically take on the work we do, but film is really illegal and unethical. So looking at, are you a W-2 employee? What seat are you in? Looking into the labor board, looking at the rights that you have. Also, the labor board has information about 1099ers and knowing what your rights are. If you were a 1099er and you were definitely classified as that, there's new laws like AB5 that help protect that, but also you can report a company or a job for misclassifying you. But at least knowing your rights, again, some people are really scared to come forward to their bosses and say things. So at least knowing what your rights are, making a space for them and with your boss to just talk about the things and at least say like, I know that this is what I'm qualified as. How can we find a happy medium where this still works for you and your company, but I'm better protected Mm -hmm. and I feel like I can better serve my job. Yeah, that's a really good tip. Know your rights, read your paperwork. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds boring, but it's really, really important. Your second tip is also very important, which is set your boundaries. So let's talk about that because I feel like people always want to know, how do I do that? I love boundaries. Boundaries are very sexy. They're very essential. I am all for them. I think people think boundaries are really, it's like combating things. It's very bad. Boundaries are not good. Boundaries are awesome. Unfortunately, film, music, the entertainment industry really, and unfortunately, a lot of industries really disregard that. And that really stems from capitalism and how that's embedded. But we're not going to go into that because again, that's (laughs) Um, That's another episode. but I still need money payment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think with boundaries, so I've done a workshop on boundaries. I've done it a few times and it's the way we've done it is like, we kind of just take a current work situation. We assess the things that are going wrong. We take time to write out what those boundaries are that we need set. Those boundaries could just be for producers. Like every time you add on a new job or a new task, I'd like to have a conversation about it. And then I think the pe- the place where a lot of us stop is, so we acknowledge the things we need, right? We're like, I need this, I need this. But then we are so quick to say, especially as women, we're so quick to say, oh, but I'll be fine. This job's only another week or this job, I get this and that, and I don't really need this. We do that so much. And it really frustrates me when I hear other women say it. So what we've done in the workshop is we've taken those boundaries and as many as we need set, we've written as many reasons as we deserve it. And it's so wild to watch people like realize what they need and then realize their value. Because I think so often we're like told, you know, a lot of people, like as someone who works through codependency behaviors, I quickly look to others to validate my needs, but I need to validate my needs because I'm the one waking up and going to bed every day as Darby Rose. No one else is. So I'm the one that's going to have to deal with the things that I do. So I think as people are trying to assess the boundaries they need set in a job, if you're in a really toxic situation and you're like, I can't take work calls after 7 p.m. anymore. Or if you can't, you can't ask me to come in at 8 a.m. the night before, you know, this and that really setting why you deserve it. Because when you go in, you're going to know that. And that doesn't mean you have to say, I deserve this because X, Y, and Z. You just need to go in and ask for it. And you know what you know. You don't owe anyone an explanation of why you deserve it. Boundaries should just be respected and always regarded. Yeah, 
Aaliyah, this makes me think of Dr. Sasha Hines, where she said that when you imagine, so hers was about goals, but I think this could work with boundaries also. So her whole thing is that when you imagine you reaching that goal or you setting that boundary, you should also imagine all the ways that people are going to push back against that boundary and come up with solutions ahead of time. So when you say, look, it's not okay to call me at midnight and ask me to come in at 8 a.m. I need at least an eight hour or 12 hour notice, whatever it is, her whole exercise, which I think goes perfect with what you're saying, Darby, is imagine it going well and also imagine it not going well and come up with solutions for both, which is you know, then you're like almost prepared. You're not, you know, things are going to go wrong. You know, people are going to try and push past those boundaries. And I really love the idea of like actually sitting there and for yourself listing, uh, like writing down the reasons why you actually deserve that. Like, I feel like that, I mean, it's so intimidating to like have any sort of confrontation with your manager or boss or employer. So just intrinsically knowing like why you set these boundaries, even like you said, you're not going to share them necessarily. It's just, it, it takes yeah. away some of that intimidation before you go into the meeting to be like, I'm not, I'm not wild for thinking right. that I, I, sh- I need an hour's notice yeah. for this thing or whatever. So yeah, I really love the idea. And yeah, when did we interview Dr. Sasha? This was like, it was like right when quarantine happened. But the, the episode, which I'll put in the show notes, is called Goal Setting During mm-hmm. Uncertainty. So we'll put that in there as well. All right. So your third tip, Darby, is to ask yourself, does your workplace include safety, inclusion, accountability, and your value? So you spoke on this a little bit, but can you explain that a little further? Yeah. These are the words that have really been coming to mind a lot, especially during COVID and this revolution we're in and looking forward and what we need to make sure is included as the people going into the jobs and as the people who will be hiring others to come into our jobs. So these words, safety, inclusion, accountability, and value, self-worth, however you'd like to refer to it. If these words don't really come to mind when you think of your job, or you don't think that they're going to be allowed into the space, that they won't be able to serve you. My suggestion is to immediately explore exit routes from this. (laughs) Run, (laughs) just run. Get out. The safety, the only safety there is exit routes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I think that is real because I think it's so easy for people to be like, well, just leave the job. It's like some of us are supporting family members, supporting ourselves. This is the first job we might have found in decades that might be serving us. But I think that people have to remember also, it's like just because that's the first thing you might have found in a long time. Think of the other things you'll find. If this is the thing you found, think of what else is out there. If they can't, if these things can't serve you, you don't deserve to be in it. So I'll just quickly state what these questions are to ask yourself. In regards to safety, point blank, are you safe? Is your mental health safe? Is your physical health safe? Is your emotional health safe? And if you're a very spiritual person, is your spiritual health safe? Inclusion. Are you being included in the expansion and growth of this job? Specifically, I've had jobs where I've heard them talking about all these new projects they want to take on, all these things they want to do. And I'm like excited, but at the end of the day, I've had jobs where I've seen that grow and there is nowhere for me to be a part of that. That doesn't mean I was in a different department and that was, you know, I'm in project management and that's creative. It means that as the company is talking about growing, is that going to include me and me looking at your identities and are your identities being included in that growth? For accountability, asking yourself, is accountability truly set in place to remove all the wrongdoers? So are there really accountable methods being set? 
that doesn't mean we have HR because the reality is HR is not always going to serve the workers and the employees. They're often there to serve the company. That's just the reality. Doesn't mean HR is evil. Just means that's who's paying them. That's who's hiring them. And that's what they're there to be a part of. So is there accountability? If you're having issues with this one person, is that person actually, is there actually going to be action taken against them? And will you, can you trust your, your word will always be believed? And then the last part, value and self-worth. I just kind of talked about that with boundaries, but I think the journey of value and self-worth is a daily practice and it's a lifelong journey of exploring where and how that gets to play out in your relationships, at home, with your roommate, with your friends, at work, really valuing yourself. You can't expect, again, as someone who has gone through a journey of codependence, I can't expect other people to set my value, to recognize my self-worth for me to do it. I have to do it. And along the way, anyone who recognizes it, great, awesome. I'll make space for them in my life. But if people can't recognize that, then I can't, I can't continue to recognize and serve those people in those entities. That's mm-hmm. very, very well said. I feel like we could also do a whole episode on self-worth. I know, seriously. Like every, all these tips, we just... <laughs> <laughs> so your fourth tip is to always leave a paper trail for all types of correspondence and events. So explain that one. Always leave a paper trail because, because a lot of the things that can happen, again, talking about film is like, you're on set, you're running and gunning, I hate to use gunning, but you're kind of going and moving and you don't really have time to like always go write an email. But what I can encourage is that after any major conversation, after any event that happens in the workplace, whether it's an email being sent to your boss or to the HR, if you're not comfortable doing that, at least logging it. Anything, I'm not really sure like how to completely suggest this part, but I think if there's anyone that you can have like, as a witness and sign off on whatever you're logging, whether it's a Google doc and just like someone that you work with, it doesn't matter if they're your good friend or not. You don't have to worry about that because you, people should just believe that anything wrong that's happening mm-hmm. to you is happening, but always leave a paper trail. Even if it's, you know, like I said, an in-person conversation or not. And also as a bonus to actually print things, mm-hmm. like a lot of people use their work computers and whatever, and then will suddenly not have access to certain things. So I think we wrote an article too about this, I want to say, or we mentioned this in a course, but like having an actual physical paper is sometimes helpful because you never know, you never know, know with technology stuff. Okay. So your last tip, which I love, is to join the Color Film community and your Patreon for professional resources and guides to self-advocate in the workplace. I will say I've been to color film events. I'm a color film head, as we call ourselves. I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> I love but that. But it's a super awesome organization. <laughs> so do you want to explain that a bit? Yeah. So Color Film, we provide educational and community resources for filmmakers, specifically marginalized film professionals, to self-advocate in the film industry. And then that's become this like kind of growing community of a lot of bunch of independent and mostly freelance filmmakers, but we're open to all types of folks because again, it's a whole film industry. And my Patreon has kind of taken the part that I've been most passionate about color film, which is providing those resources, but on behalf of me as a consultant. So I basically run color film alone at this point, but I've had a lot more friends hopping in And so my Patreon is just my chance to provide resources and guides and help navigate, help others navigate through their own work scenarios, whether it's just figuring out EDD or figuring out how to deal with 
a toxic work situation specifically. I can serve as a soundboard for people, or I'm also working on worksheets and workbooks and other content to create for people so they can have. And then also, I think the thing with color film is we focus so much on how to self-advocate. But the other part of the problem still exists is that these institutions, these studio institutions, these big production companies are still doing wrong things. So we can only say, I mean, sometimes it feels equivalent to like, women just shouldn't wear short dresses. And it's like, I want I love wearing short dresses. So don't tell me, don't police me. So with my consulting, I'm really also focusing on how to engage more with studio institutions and helping dismantle the toxic policies that they have in place. Um, and the lack of accountability. So I serve kind of, yeah, all professionals in and out of film, primarily been film folks, but I have those two spaces. So you can either join the color film community. That's a free thing. We're mostly active on Instagram and virtually since we're in COVID times. And my Patreon, which if you don't know what Patreon is, it's like a crowdfunding membership where you can be a part of and support and get exclusive access to perks. So I do like live streams. They talk about different topics. But you can also participate in that for as little as $5 a month or a larger amount. And we'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes. Definitely check it out. Yeah, Darby, these are amazing tips. I think that just the questions, the actions that people can take to, to you know, navigate a toxic workplace, I can tell this is going to be super helpful. So I just want to recap the five tips that you gave for navigating a toxic workplace, which are number one, examine your onboarding slash start paperwork for your rights and protection. Number two, set boundaries. Number three, ask yourself, does your workplace respect safety, inclusion, accountability, and your value? Number four, always leave a paper trail for all your types of correspondence and events. And number five, of course, join the Color Film community as well as Darby's Patreon for professional resources and guides to self-advocate in the workplace. And like Aaliyah said, we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. We absolutely love hearing from you all. And as a special thank you, there's still time to enter our career coaching session giveaway. A career coaching session is valued at $200 and you can work with any career contessa coach of your choice if you win. To win the coaching session, all you need to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell us one thing you've learned since listening to the Females Podcast. And be sure to leave your Instagram handle so that we can message you if you're the winner. Only one winner will be selected. Non-US residents can enter and you only have until August 18th, 2020 to enter the giveaway. If you're done dealing with a toxic workplace and are currently job searching, Download our free guide to launching a job search in 24 hours. We link to that in the show notes. And a big thank you to Darby Rose for sharing her time and wisdom around navigating toxic workplaces. You can learn more about Darby in the show notes as well. <laughs>